welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Tonight, I want to uh, just take a little bit of a, a different turn and uh, I want to pick up a story that Jesus told because as I say many times when I stand up here, that Jesus was a great storyteller. And, and I, I think if you're a preacher, you should be a great storyteller. I think if you're a dad, you should be a great storyteller. I think if you're a mom, you should be a great storyteller. I think if you're a big brother, you should be a great storyteller. I think we should be great storytellers. Because stories are an incredible way to communicate truth. And if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. And what you find with these stories is Jesus had some incredible revelation, but he had to dumb down the revelation in order for us dummies to understand. And so that's why I believe in telling stories. And uh, my wife was away um, for two nights uh, at a conference, a, 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 a women's conference in Sydney. And uh, she did a fantastic job and uh, had lots of great reports and feedback from the time that she was away. But that gave me an opportunity to play Mr. Mum. So I've been doing the Mr. Mum thing for the last two days and uh, putting... BJ to bed last night, I told her this story. And I did the whole thing about being a princess. I mean, I don't know how many times I've told this story about her being this princess. There was this beautiful princess with bl- blonde hair. It's me, isn't it? So I haven't finished. And big blue eyes. The biggest blue eyes you'd ever see. She goes, it's me, isn't it? So we tell stories and it's great and I'll leave that story alone tonight. But Jesus told a story, and it's found in a couple of the Gospels. But I want to pick up the one from Luke 15. And it's commonly known as the prodigal son. And, uh, you know, it's been preached that there was a father who had, you know, a son that went off and squandered all his wealth. And, and, And that's a great story, and I've preached it many times. But there is a third player to this story. And he often gets overlooked. And it's the older brother. And so my title tonight is simply that, the older brother. It's not the prodigal son tonight. It's not the good father. And I've talked about the good father in that story. But tonight, I want to look at the older brother in this story. So can we pick up the story in Luke chapter 15? And as we do that, I'm just going to quickly pray because we need God's help to understand the Scriptures. Father, I want to thank you for your Word. I pray you'd help me to share it. And I pray you'd give us ears to hear what you are saying to us as individuals tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Kathy. Luke chapter 15 and verse 25. And so basically, the Father has given his inheritance to his youngest son. His youngest son has gone off, spent all his money, had the life, the time of his life. He's found out that while he had money, he had friends. When the money was gone, he's got no friends. He's got no credibility. He's got no money. He's got no food. He's got no dignity. He comes to his knees And it's on his knees he comes to his senses. And when he comes to his senses, he makes a decision to come home. And this is where we pick up the story. The young brother is home. The father's rapt to see him. 
there's a massive celebration taking place. The older brother's in the field. He knows nothing of what's gone on. Luke 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what on earth is going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he is back safe and sound. You'd think the older brother would be happy, wouldn't you? Not so. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not brother of mine, son of yours. Isn't it amazing? When, when, when one of our kids is doing the wrong thing or someone's close to us, it's like that son of yours, that daughter of yours. He's saying, he's saying that son of, not brother of mine, this son of yours has squandered his property with prostitutes. He comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad. Because this brother of yours, he puts it back, he said, this brother of yours. The brother said, this son of yours. The father saying, this brother of yours. He's just reminding him, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. we're in this together. It's not just my son, he's your brother. The answer to the age-old question, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This was a great story that Jesus told. And there were three main players. There was the young brother who is known as the prodigal son because he wasted. That's what prodigal means, the wasteful son. He was given his inheritance and he wasted it. He came to his knees, came to his senses, came home. The father was just so glad to see him. The father didn't chase him. He let him, he let him go. But when he came back, boy, he was happy. And so he just said, man, let's just put some rings on his fingers, bells on his toes. Let's put the best cloak on him. Let's kill the fattened calf, not little duck, fattened calf. <laughs> and they begin to sing and dance, and they're playing music. Justin Bieber's going in the background. They're just getting down. Or Elvis, whatever. Enter the older brother. He's been working hard. And he comes, and his response is what I want to look at today. See, I believe the older brother in this story serves as a wake-up call for all of us who have been in a relationship for a long period of time. That relationship may be a marriage. 
That relationship could just be your family. The relationship could be a working relationship. Or it could be a church relationship just like this one. And I believe that this little story serves as a wake-up call for us of what it is to stay together for a long period of time with the right attitude. See, I believe one of the greatest enemies to longevity is familiarity. And I believe the older brother in this story was guilty of familiarity. And when you are guilty of familiarity, it opens doors to all sorts of things, like offense, hurt, boredom, entitlement. I've been married for this long, I deserve. I've been married for this long, I'm bored. It opens doors for all sorts of things, a lack of appreciation. A lack of gratitude. Jeff Woodward, who leads a church in Perth, said this. You know something shifted in your heart is something you used to feel like an honour now feels like an obligation. When you used to do something because it was an honour to do it, but now it's become an obligation, it's because something in your heart has shifted. It's not necessarily the environment you're in. It's not necessarily the people you're working with. It's not necessarily the woman you're married to or the man that you're married to. It's not necessarily those kids, those kids that your wife gave birth to. It's not necessarily them. It's because our heart has shifted. And we see that this older brother's heart was not in the best place. And it's the result of his heart not being the best place that I want to look at today because there's three things that really stand out to me, among many, but here's three just for the sake of time. This older brother's heart was not in the place and the result was he sulked instead of celebrated. You've got to catch this. If we can catch this, maybe these could be signs or signposts to us that, that maybe... Um, when we start sulking, maybe we, we can actually arrest ourselves at that moment. Because what you've got to do, understand is it's the servant. The servant is the one who came bringing the news about the younger brother. And the tone of the servant was one of joy. He came and said, oh, man, you've you got, you got to come in. Oh, man, the, the music and the dancing. Oh, yeah, let me tell you about it. I'll tell you why. It's because your brother, the guy that just wasted the inheritance, the guy that, that was dead is now alive. I mean, he's back. Yeah. This is good news. Good. Yeah. The servant was more excited than the brother. Yeah. The one that wasn't part of the family was more excited than the one that was a blood brother to this young man who'd come back. He wasn't happy. And his, res his response is interesting. It says he became angry and he refused to go inside. See, when we think about sulking, we think of little kids. 
having their tantrum, sucking their thumb, stomping their feet. We call that sulking. And it is, and it needs to be addressed. As parents, we need to address sulking in kids. In actual fact, my pet hate is sulking. I don't have a greater hate than sulking. Sulking is my thing that I, I just don't cope well with. Our kids have known from a very early age they're not going to get away with sulking. It's only going to go worse for them when they sulk. And so they just learn at an early age, you know what, we may as well just get over ourselves because sulking is not going to work. And so we associate sulking with kids. But I know a lot of adults that sulk too. And it may not look like the same thing. It may not look the same. But this is how adults sulk. They get angry and they isolate themselves. They refuse to go in. They refuse to get involved. They refuse to be connected. And we see that with the older brother. Here's his opportunity to celebrate the fact that his brother, who was dead, is alive. And instead of celebrating, he gets his sulks on. And he gets angry instead of joyful. You see, his brother's return was a cause for celebration. May we never forget as a church that the primary purpose is to help broken people. And so as older brothers that have been around church for a period of time, we may not always like the music. Let's not sulk. Let's not get angry and not go in there. Because ultimately, we should be celebrating the opportunities to help broken people. Because that's the purpose of the church. That we would be here for a purpose on mission, helping broken people find their way. And every older brother should be in the room celebrating that, whether we like the music or not. He heard the music. God angry, refused to go in. That sounds like a lot of Christians I know. I don't like the music. I'm not going in. May we never forget why we're here as a church. It's to celebrate that which is lost. And so we see, as a result of this older brother's heart, not being in the right place because familiarity had crept in and that opened the door to a whole heap of emotion. He got angry. He isolated himself at a time where he could have celebrated. You know that fattened calf that he'd never had? He had an opportunity to partake right there and then. Maybe when the dad was, uh, was preparing it, he thought, this is an opportunity for my two sons to eat the fattened calf. Maybe it wasn't just for the son. Maybe it was actually for both his sons. But while he isolated himself, he never ever got to taste that which was cooked for him. Don't isolate yourself. Don't get angry. Keep your heart soft. 
I believe these are keys, not just for doing life as a church together, but it's going to serve you well in your marriage. It's going to serve you well in your family. It's going to serve you well in your workplace. And so firstly, he sulked instead of celebrated. The second thing I noticed about the story is he slaved instead of served. You see, the older brother was a son to the father. And yet he acted like a servant. He was a son, but he acted like a servant. When we don't access our inheritance as sons, we will always feel like we're slaving away. When we don't lay claim to that which is rightfully ours as sons and daughters of the living God, we will always feel like we're slaving away. When I was a young man in church growing up, you know, I, I was brought up on this mantra that we can have our steak on the plate while we wait for the pie in the sky when we die. It, it wasn't just, you know, when you get to heaven, God will wipe away all your tears. When you get to heaven, there'll be joy. When you get to heaven, there'll be peace. No, no, that's true. But you know what? You can have some of that right here, right now. And as sons and daughters of the living God, we have right to uh, lay claim to that which is ours right here, right now. We've got three kids and they know they can go to their, uh, the fridge because our fridge is their fridge. They don't have to wait till they have their own home. They have an inheritance right here, right now. They can, they can help themselves. But you imagine if they just didn't take access, if they didn't just, just take advantage of that. And they start getting bitter and twisted. Like, There's no food here. There, there is. You just got to help yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I've, 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 been, I've been doing all the dishes and, and, and I'm thirsty. Help yourself. I've been mopping the floors and now I'm hungry. Yes, well, just help yourself. You're a son, you're a daughter. You don't have to ask every time, can I go to the bed? Just, it's, your, it's mine, it's yours. Yeah. Hannah said that while she was waiting for her miracle, she wanted peace and she accessed peace. And guess what? She not only got peace, she got a miracle as well. Yeah. We don't have to wait till we're in heaven to get peace. We can have peace right here, right now. Yeah. This I know, Jesus will either take us out of circumstances miraculously, or if he doesn't, he will give us the strength to go through them. Either way, he'll be with us, and either way is a win. We don't have to live as slaves when we are sons. We've got to take grab a hold of our inheritance. Otherwise, we're no better than the servants. But if we're not laying claim to our inheritance in the here and now, pretty soon it's going to feel like we're slaving away. And the reason it feels like we're slaving away is because we've made ourselves a slave to our own calling. We've become prisoners of our own ministry. We've become prisoners of our own marriage. Instead of just enjoying one another's company, you know what, my wife is a work in progress, as am I. But I'm not waiting for her to change to enjoy her. We can enjoy each other right here, right now. And we can enjoy the journey. 
This church is not perfect. This church is not finished. There's a comma. There's more to come. But we can still enjoy it right here, right now. And I feel like so many marriages get cut short. So many families get separated and split up. Because we're waiting for this elusive one day when. Instead of enjoying our present right here, right now. And I believe we could do life a whole heap better if we would begin to live as sons and daughters and lay claim to that which is rightfully ours as sons and daughters of the living God. Don't become a prisoner of your calling. The older brother said, I've been slaving away. He said, Really? Slaving away. You've been with the Father. You've had access to the fridge. You've had access to the rooms and the board. Just like, really? It doesn't sound like a slave. It sounds like an incredible privilege. You can go inside at any time. You can help yourself to the fridge at any time. And then we serve out of the gratitude we have because we can go to the fridge at any time, yeah. that we have a bed, that we have a roof, that we have a, etc., etc., etc. The older brother got so familiar, he forgot what he actually had. Yeah. Which brings me to my last point tonight, and that is he accused instead of assessed. This is so easy for us to do. The older brother in this story accused his younger brother of wasting and squandering his inheritance. He then had a bit of a barber on prostitutes. He didn't say he's wasted his inheritance. He actually added the extra bit. On prostitutes, I might add, because we all know that's wrong. And it just makes the accusation just that little bit more justifiable. We feel just that little bit better about ourselves because he was with prostitutes and I wasn't. But he didn't just accuse the younger brother. He actually accused his father of making a poor judgment. He actually accused his father of poor parenting and wrong decisions. Instead of accusing, what he should have been doing was assessing where he was really at. And that's what he never did. See, he assumed wrongly that he was without fault. He said, I've never done anything wrong and I haven't had a fattened calf. I thought, aren't you just disobeying your father right now by not coming inside? Isn't it amazing? That we're in the midst of those moments, we're blinded by our own rage and futility. He would have been much better off assessing where he was really at than just accusing his brother and his father. 
He would have been better off saying, what is it about me right now that I can't even celebrate my brother's return? I might not have slept with prostitutes, but this is pretty bad. That my brother's home, and there's nothing in me that's happy about that. See, it's easy to accuse. But it takes a real man or a real woman to assess where we are at. This older brother is in the story for a purpose. Jesus never wasted his words. The older brother is not just an incidental character in the story. He represents those like many of us, and certainly myself, who have been doing what we've been doing for a long time. And when you've been doing what you've been doing for a long time, it's easy to get complacent. It's easy to get familiar. It's easy to get cynical. If we're honest, some of the older brothers in here look at some of the younger brothers and sisters and say, yeah, I used to be like you, you wait. And instead of coming alongside and and fanning into flame the gift that's in them, we try to squash it. And we try and put our experiences on them. They will have their experiences. And they will have their moments. But it's not our job to be the ones to stop somebody moving forward. Let us not be like the older brother when the years start piling up. This church celebrates 20 years next year. Been married 21 years. Been together with my wife eight years before. That's 29 years we've been together. And it's easy just to get familiar. It's easy just to take each other for granted. It's easy at that moment just to start looking at other options. The older brother serves as an example of what not to do. He serves as a wake-up call for us to hold our line, to not give up, and to not give in. And so if we find ourselves sulking, whinging, making excuses, complaining, isolating ourselves. These are moments that are meant to arrest us, that we can self-examine so that we can make the necessary changes so that we don't become like and remain like the older brother in this story. I believe if we could take this word seriously, Marriages everywhere could change like that. I believe families could become oh so healthy. And I believe the same for churches. I believe the workplace could look the same. If we would just adopt the position of the father that was grateful to see this young man Return home. 
This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.